Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Come on, smile for me. And they feel good. Can we congratulate our graduates one more time? Appreciate those guys. Amen. All of you guys that work with our Next Gen Ministries, thank you for all the labors that you do. It's not in vain. Those seeds that are planted are going to bring incredible harvest in the days ahead uh, in their lives and the lives of the people that they touch. We appreciate you so very much. This past week, I had the privilege of, of making the trip to Virginia and celebrating as my oldest grandson graduated from the eighth grade. And I'm thinking, he was just that big the other day. What am I, I'm not old enough to have an eighth grade grandson. How in the world did I get here? But time passes quickly, and uh, they become the generation that ultimately defines who we are. Amen? So thank you for all your investments in them. So let's get into it. If there was a motto for today's society or culture, I think from my perspective, it would be something along the lines of, I just want to be happy, okay? I can't tell you the number of people that have said to me as a pastor, I, I hear all you're saying, pastor. I, I hear what I should be doing and how things should be working. and all. I can hear all that stuff, but I just want to be happy. I, in fact, I was doing some research on it not too long ago and ran across an article by Psychology Today where, where they, they interviewed 52,000 people. They surveyed 52,000 people and asked the simple question, what would make you happy? And I was intrigued by the responses that they got. You just listen. See if you can find the common denominator in this list. Here's what they said. Uh, what would make you happy? Friends, social life, job, being in love, recognition, success. Sex, personal growth, good financial situation, nice house or apartment, being good looking, being in good health, uh, the city that I live in, going on an awesome vacation. I mean, do you, you, you're picking up the, the common denominator and all of that? In every one of those things, the issue is I would be happy if I had the right set of circumstances operating in my life. If my circumstances came together in the way that I wanted them to, then everything's going to be good. Now, the problem with that is that that, that approach to happiness has been tried and failed. I mean, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, richest man that ever lived, uh, said very clearly in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you know, let's go after the good things in life. And then by the end of the chapter, he's saying, I got it all. I got all the wealth. I got all the fame. I got all the stuff. But it's all, anybody remember what he said? It's chasing the wind. It's all meaningless stuff. Now, let's be clear about this thing. Is there anything wrong with, with, with right circumstances? No. Is there anything wrong with being successful? No. Is there anything wrong with being wealthy? No. Rich people need Jesus too. Just make sure you tithe. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> nothing wrong with any of those kinds of things. Anything wrong with having a nice car, living in a nice house? Nothing wrong with any of this stuff. The problem is not having stuff. The problem is somehow believing that your stuff is ultimately going to fill the hole in your soul. You see, the problem is that happiness at the end of the day is overrated. Happiness has this way of, of rising and falling on the current set of circumstances. And so you get some good circumstances and you feel happy and then your circumstances turn south and you don't feel happy anymore. It's, it's based on the old English word happenstance, which has the same root as circumstance. And so happiness is based on how are things going for you in your life right now. And so what I'm here to tell you is that your target should go deeper than happiness. Nothing wrong with happiness. By all means, enjoy it when it comes, but you ought to be shooting for something deeper, and Jesus made it clear what we should be looking for is what he called the blessed life. 
We ought to be looking for this thing called being blessed. And so we're going to kick off a series today, spend the next few weeks looking at this issue of, of uh, I'm just simply calling it, I am blessed. And we're going to talk about what it means to, to live in this blessed life. If you want to follow along with us, you can go to the Bridge NC app and get the notes there. You see all the scriptures and all the points. If you want to, you can email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'd be glad to send you the very notes that I'm using so that you can study along and get into this thing. At the end of the day, I want us to go to the central sermon of Jesus' life while he was here on earth. We often call it the Sermon of the Mount. And I want to understand what he meant by this idea of being blessed. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. You can flip there now. You can go to the Bridge NC app now, or you can just follow one on the screens. It's up to you. But we're going to look at this thing. We often call it the Beatitudes. We're going to look at uh, what Jesus said brought about, ushered in a blessed life, and week by week through this series, we're just going to unpack each one of those character traits as what they are and see if we can walk in the blessed life that's before it. Is that worth a few minutes of our time this summer? So this idea of being blessed, of what does it actually mean to be blessed and what did Jesus uh, say about it? So today, we wanted to focus on our graduates and just celebrate with them. So I'm not going to keep you very long, but, but I want to just kind of give you a quick overview of the series, and then we're going to jump into the very first of the list uh, just very quickly, and we'll kind of wrap up in prayer and kind of set our hearts for the, for the journey that's before us throughout this summer. So uh, let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to put it on the screens. You can follow along in your own Bible if you want to. But let's just read them. And as we do, let's think about what that means. Let's pray that Jesus will make it clear to us what that means as we walk through them. So here we go. Uh, Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Next. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Next. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Ready for the next one? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Next. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then finally, one more. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so what what does each one of those verses start with? The word blessed, we often say blessed, however you want to pronounce it, is this idea of living a blessed life. The Greek word is actually the word uh, makarios, makarios, that literally means supremely fortunate or favored. So that's the idea. You could actually translate every one of those by saying supremely fortunate or well-favored are the poor in spirit. Supremely fortunate and well-favored are the pure in heart, are the peacemakers. Going down the list, he says blessed are the people who have these characteristics. The meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted are the people among us who are the ones who are blessed, who are fortunate, who are well Favored. Now, let's just be honest for a minute, okay? Lean in. Was Jesus losing it when he said that? I mean, come on, let's be honest. How many of you, when you think, uh, boy, I am fortunate because I am sad right now. I am fortunate because I'm hungry right now. 
I'm fortunate because I'm poor right now. I mean, come on. How many of you think that? That's what comes to your mind when you, you, you hear that stuff. It's just, it's not what comes to our mind. That's not what automatically hits us. I mean, we don't consider ourselves fortunate when we're weak. That's not when we're persecuted, when we're insulted. What is, has Jesus lost his mind? No. Uh, there's something going on here. We just need to understand a little more carefully what it is that he's saying. Now, I need you to notice something else. Jesus isn't saying you're fortunate, favored, blessed if you work at having these things, does he? He says you are. Therefore, congratulations, you're fortunate. You are poor in spirit. Therefore, you are fortunate. You are meek. Congratulations, you are blessed. Now, as crazy as that sounds, what you need to understand is each of the things in this list that Jesus has given us are character traits of Jesus himself. So what he's actually saying is, you will not be fortunate and favored by God if you work hard to become poor in spirit, you work hard to do these things. He's saying that as you become like Christ in these areas, you will naturally be fortuned, favored by God himself. The journey then to this blessed life is not about working hard to get these things. The journey is to become more and more like Christ. And as you do, then these are the natural outproducts. These are the natural results of taking on these Christ-like characteristics. Is this making sense? Do you guys like this? Let me say it another way, okay? In fact, I put it on the screens. Here we go. My being blessed is not determined by what's happening around me. It's determined by what's happening in me, let's say it together. Uh, my being blessed is not determined by what's happening around me. It's determined by what's happening in me. Being blessed, being fortunate, being favored by God is not a matter of having stuff. It's a byproduct of becoming like Jesus. And the more we become like him, the more fortunate and favored we are. And hear me, and the more like him you become, the less the current set of difficult circumstances in your life affect you, bring you down. Because you're not settled for happiness now. You're living the blessed life, the fortunate, favored life. So I'll ask again, is it worth spending a few weeks on to get a handle on what this actually looks like? I think it's worth us understanding a little bit more as we dig deeper into this idea of not just seeing Jesus, wanting the blessings of being in relationship with Jesus, but ultimately understanding what it means to be like Jesus, knowing that at the end of the day, we're the ones that are ultimately blessed. Can I just tell you in personal testimony before we shift gears and talk about this first one that I did this study a number of years ago and, and it radically changed my life. It radically changed uh, my perspective. Some of you saw my Facebook post, a couple hundred of you uh, responded to it this week that I'm, I'm always pumped about whatever series we're about to do next. I get excited. Somebody says, what's your favorite sermon? Well, it's the one I'm fixing to preach. That's the one. I'm, that's my favorite. But this one just it defined my life in powerful ways when I did this study a number of years ago. And as I've renewed this study, particularly at a season of my life, when there's a lot of difficult circumstances that I wish weren't the way they are, uh, it's just renewed for me what it means to be blessed. And so those of you that have asked me the question uh, recently, when you say, Pastor Jim, how are you? What's my answer? Anybody know? 
I am so blessed it's embarrassing. Why do I say that? Because I've come to understand what the blessed life looks like, feels like, touches, and it isn't based in the current set of circumstances of my life. I told a banker some time ago, uh, he said, how you doing, Mr. Wall? I said, well, I'm just so blessed it's embarrassing. He said, oh, things are going well for you these days. I said, I didn't say that. And there's this pause, and he went, uh, oh, uh, I guess it's an attitude, isn't it? Not really. <laughs> he didn't get it. The lights were on, but nobody's home. His elevator didn't go all the way to the top floor. I just let it go. Uh, though I said, if you ever want to talk about it, I'd be glad to. We moved on into the business that we were dealing with. Uh, bottom line is, guys, I want you to be able to say, not jargony, not a, not a motto, not a statement that you hope will become true one day. I want you to be able to say, I'm so blessed it's embarrassing. Whether the circumstances of your life are the way you wish they were right now or not. That's my wish for you. That's my desire for you. I want us to live the blessed life. Got it? You, you ready to go on this journey together? All right, let's shift gears now and let's talk about the first one in the few minutes we've got left. I promise you I wouldn't keep you long, but I just want to set this thing in motion and get our wheels turning and get us praying. It's going to be a great study. Look forward to doing this with you over the next few weeks. Here we go. The first one is found in verse 3, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the question becomes, what does that mean? What does poor in spirit mean? The Greek word in the original manuscript for that word poor is tochos, and tochos literally means to be absolutely destitute, completely empty and without. That's what he's talking about, but he's not talking about being completely and without money, is he? What's he talking about? Poor in, in spirit. And so the idea is not that you're, you're destitute of money. The idea is that you have emptied yourself of yourself. The idea is that you are not self-centered. You are not selfish. You are not self-reliant. You aren't focused on yourself at all. Instead, you are full of Christ. You are full of the Holy Spirit of Christ. So the more you empty yourself of yourself, the more you become filled with the Spirit of God, and the result is you begin to live the blessed life. Simply put, the secret to the blessed life is to empty yourself of yourself. Paul said it that way. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I die daily that Christ might live in me. What's he doing? He's saying, I want to be blessed. I want to live the blessed life. I want to be used by God and available to God and understand the secret of all of this is ultimately not arrogance. It's not puffing myself up. It's not building myself up or pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. It is ultimately humility. That's what he's talking about, is humbling ourselves, submitting ourselves, being humble. Now, I need you to be, un I need to be sure we understand, okay? Humility is not putting yourself down. Can I get an amen in the house? Humility is not low self-esteem. Humility is not saying, I'm a worm, I'm no good, I'm nothing. That's not humility. Every party needs a pooper. That's why they invited me. Party pooper. Is that humility? No, it's insecurity at best. Maybe it's false, false modesty begging for a compliment. I don't know. But it's certainly not humility. Humility is understanding I haven't arrived yet, but God still loves me. 
Humility is understanding that whatever gifts and talents and abilities I have, they, they were a gift from God, and my responsibility is to give that gift back to him. My, it's understanding that God put me on this planet on purpose, with a purpose, and as I lean into him and as I have, uh, allow myself to be filled with him and with his spirit, I actually get to accomplish more than I dare to dream or think or ask. And at the end of the day, I want him to get the glory for all of it. I'm going to become less as he becomes more. That's what humility is. Humility is understanding that I get to stand before God knowing that he knows me completely. Ooh, scary, huh? And loves me unconditionally. And he empowers me to do what he put me on this planet to do. That's what humility is. So, let, you know, some of you know me. You know I like the Pastor Jim paraphrase. So let's, let's Pastor Jim paraphrase uh, Matthew 5, 3 negatively first. Maybe it'll give you a clear understanding, okay? So a negative paraphrase of this would be the arrogant and egotistical are not blessed, fortunate, or favored, for they're on their own. So what's a positive paraphrase of this passage? People who realize they don't have it all together and they look to God as their source are blessed, fortunate, favored. So anybody want to be blessed? The secret is humility. The secret is to humble yourself before the Lord. It's not to work hard to get these things. It's to humble yourself and watch favor rise in your Life. There, there are lots of reasons why that happens. Let me take just a couple of minutes. I'll let you go. But a couple of minutes to mention three, three that I think are critical and probably common for all of us. First of all, what I've found is that the more I humble myself, the more my stress levels go down. Have you found that to be true? I mean, when I humble myself, when I acknowledge that I ain't got it all together, I don't have all the answers, I can resign as general manager of the universe and it won't all fall apart, there's a peace that washes over me. But when I feel like I have to control it all, I have to have all the answers, I have to be perfect, I have to get this all right, and you have to recognize that that's who I am, my stress levels go up higher and higher and higher all the time. Anybody relating to this? Yeah, a couple of you. Can I just be transparent with you? This has been one of the journeys of my life. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you learn this lesson and you got it. You don't have to deal with it anymore. I've been learning this lesson all my life, and it's one of the big ones for me. I remember vividly, as I was reflecting this week and preparing to share with you, uh, I remember vividly when I first uh, was ordained to the gospel ministry 40 none of your business years ago, uh, in fact, I have to quit saying that soon because come January, it will be 50 years ago that I was ordained to ministry. And, and I was so proud to have Reverend on my name that I put it on everything. <laughs> my, checking, my, check, my checks had Reverend Jim Wall on it. But I knew that I had really crossed the line when I sent my mother a Mother's Day card and I signed it, love, love to you, Mom, Reverend Jim Wall. I just, you know, just, I just lost it. You know, it's like, oh, come on, Jim. You know, how full of yourself can you be? And it finally dawned on me one day that being ordained is not about me. It's about the potential to serve more people. That's all it's about is the ability to be in a position to serve more people. And so, oh, God, please forgive me. And my stress levels went down immediately. And then sometime later, Kim and I started a church in, in Virginia, and it started growing rapidly, and people started recognizing how rapidly the church was growing and how big it was getting. And I actually, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but it's true, I actually got to the place where I would walk into a room full of pastors, and, and the thought would cross my mind, I wonder if I'm going to be recognized today. 
And I would live with this kind of, hmm, I pastor the biggest church in the room. Maybe, maybe somebody ought to notice. And then if they didn't, I went away going, what's wrong? Why didn't somebody even say anything? I mean, it's embarrassing to admit, but my ego rose up. And you know what went up with it? The stress levels in my life. When I began to realize that it was all about him and all about uh, his grace and all about the amazing things that he was doing, and I got to be a little tiny part of it, my stress levels went down as I humbled myself. It took me a while to figure all that out, but I'm not sure I've still figured it out, if I'm honest. Many of you know that uh, five years ago, we raised up a young man uh, in the church and turned the church over to him, and he now leads that church. They've done a phenomenal job since I left, and, and the church is growing strong, stronger all the time. And I go back and visit once in a while, and I'll walk in, and, and, and I'll run across people who say, hey, is your first time with us? No, uh, <clears throat> I used to come here a lot, okay, until I moved away. <laughs> Some of you know the name Bob Russell. Bob was the pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, who went through the same kind of process. He was kind of my role model in that succession planning process. And he brought a young man on staff named Dave Stone. And over a few-year period, uh, Dave took on more and more responsibilities and authorities until Bob finally stepped down and Dave took over. Bob made the decision that he would not walk onto the campus uh, of Southeast Christian Church for a year after Dave took over, to give Dave a chance to get, you know, established as the leader. And so for a year, he worshiped in other places, and uh, even though he still lived in the city. But a year later, he decided, okay, I, can, I get to go home now and be a part of the church family as a member of the church. And so his first Sunday back, he goes in, and, and he's walking through the crowds. I mean, the church grew during his 30 years. It grew from 300 to 20,000. And so this is this phenomenal ministry there in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's walking through the crowds, and nobody's recognized him. And it's starting to get to him. He's starting to go, ah, surely somebody remembers. I mean, it's here 30 years. I mean, come on, somebody remembers something or other. And he finally is in the men's room between services. He's standing at the, at the sinks washing his hands. And some guy comes up to the sink beside him to wash his hands. And their eyes meet in the mirror. And he says, hey, Pastor Bill. It's Pastor Bill. It's good to see you. I didn't know you were here. He said, my name is Bob. Bob. It's Bob. It's not Bill. It's Bob. Okay. My name is Bob. There's this thing that rises up in us when we start focusing on ourselves that ultimately leads to stress. But when we humble ourselves, the stress levels go down. Does that make sense? And so anytime I find myself focusing on me, it's a red flag that I've backslidden on the character trait of poor in spirit. And I call on the Lord to help me crucify the flesh all over Again, it's just one of the many reasons that Solomon said, Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The second way that humility helps us to live this favored life, this fortunate life, this blessed life, is it improves our relationships. We all know how important our relationships are. The fact is our relationship quotient goes up as we humble ourselves. Is that true? Well, let me ask a question this way. How many of you love to hang out with a know-it-all egotistical jerk? How many just, by show of hands, how many just love to hang out with people like that? You, just, you hope you get to go to lunch today with somebody who talks the whole time about themselves. You just can't wait. Anybody? I didn't say look at them. I said, 
<laughs> we don't. I mean, nobody likes to hang out with a jerk, right? And so here's what happens with these people that are self-centered and, and focused on themselves. that They don't have good relationships because they feel isolated from the very people that are time in a relationship because nobody wants to spend time with a jerk. And then the more miserable they become, the more miserable they make the people around them because they feel more and more isolated. You see, it's a downward spiral that ultimately destroys our relationships. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you love to hang out with humble people? Can I see your hands? Yeah, we love that. We love because humble, humble people listen. Humble people want to know what's going on in your life. Humble people care. You, you know how you tell the difference between a, a conceited person and a humble pe- person when you get in a conversation? A conceited person, a self-centered person, you tell a story, they have to tell a better one, right? Yeah, you have something going on in your life uh, that's good, they have to have something going on that's bad, that's better. You tell something that's bad, they have to have something that's wussa. There were two ladies in the first church that Kim and I served many years ago, Lucille and Geneva, they were sisters, and they had that competitive thing between them, and so, you know, small country church people would stand and give their prayer request. Well, if Lucille gave a request for a pain in her hip, then Geneva got up and gave a request for pain in both of her hips, and if Lucille had her bursitis bothering in her back, then Geneva got up, and it was arthritis in her case, and she was debilitating. She had to have surgery, and just, we'd get into this kind of, okay, what's Lucille? Lucille going to say this week? What's Geneva going to say this week? Because there's this competition that's going on between them. Humble people don't do that. Humble people listen. They care. And the result is their relationships go up because people enjoy their company. I like to put it this way. When you become interested in others, you become interesting to others. St. Francis of Assisi was said to be so committed to this thing called humility that anytime somebody would come along and give him a compliment, uh, he would immediately go get one of the other monks and say, I need you to give me the list of all my weaknesses. I just need you to tell me all the weaknesses in my life. And, I, and Because he just wanted, he didn't want it to go to his head. He just wanted to say humble. I remember reading that story and thinking, well, that's strange. Why, why would anybody want that to happen, and, and secondly, why would you go look for somebody to do it for you? And then it dawned on me, well, St. Francis of Assisi was a monk. He never got married. He didn't have a wife at home to do it for him automatically. He just had to go, go look for somebody. To <laughs> what? Did, oh, did I? Am I in trouble now? Uh, sorry, Kim. I love you, darling. <laughs> just joking, but you get the point I'm making, right? is we love to be around people that understand uh, humility. And that's one of the reasons that Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for what? Building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. When I'm humble, I'm blessed because my stress levels go down and my relationship levels go up. But most importantly, and I'll close with this, the the bottom line of this whole thing is being humble ultimately releases God's power in my life. That's what the scriptures say very, very clearly. James chapter 5, verse 6, 4, verse 6. God gives strength to the humble, but he sets himself up against the proud. Now, I need you to understand something that that may uh, slam into your sensibilities, but I need you to think about it with me for a minute. 
I need you to think about what that says. That says that if I am arrogant, if I am prideful, now don't misunderstand me, there is an appropriate pride. Our, our, our graduates that have worked hard and we've celebrated them today, they ought to be proud of their accomplishments. Can I get an amen? And we are proud of them. And when they work hard and they do well, at the end of the day, we don't care if they got A, Bs, or Cs. As they were doing their best, we're proud of them, right? That's why I always hate that bumper sticker, you know, my student's an honor student. Somebody else had a bumper sticker, my, my kid beat up your honor student. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I don't care about that stuff. What I care about is did you do your best, and then, then did your best translate into an accomplishment. You ought to be proud of that. We all ought to be proud of that. That's appropriate. But when there's an arrogance that draws attention to ourselves, when we become self-centered in that, we start wanting to be treated differently because of it. What does the Bible say happens in your relationship with God? He sets himself up against your plans and agendas. Think about that for a minute because, see, there's a common teaching out there these days. It's common in the Christian world. And that is that if I do things that honor God, if I live a life that, that, uh, that aligns with Scripture, then I get God's blessings. And if I, but if I'm not obedient to God, if I'm not obedient to his word, then I miss out on those blessings. And, and that's a truth, but guys, it's a half-truth. Because the Bible does not say you either get the blessings or you miss out on the blessings Read Deuteronomy 28. It says if you obey the word of God, you are blessed in the city, in the country, in your comings and your goings. And if you disobey the word of God, then you are cursed in the city and the country and your comings and your goings. You see, there's, there's no blessed or missed out. There's blessed or cursed. Understand something, guys. If you want God's a favor operating in your life, if you want the, the, to be fortunate, if you want to be blessed, then you operate within the parameters of what he's defined for you. And it breaks our hearts as pastors and staff because some people uh, in our church and other churches will, 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 will get caught up in some sinful activity, something that the Bible says ultimately leads to death. The wages of sin is, what is it? It's death. I've taught you before, that's the Greek word thanatos that means the misery that always accompanies sin. And so when we say, I'm sorry, the scriptures say that's a sin and it's going to lead to death, death of relationships, death of self-esteem, death of self-worth, death of death, ultimately eternal death if it's not dealt with, that it's going to lead to death and suddenly we're called judgmental. I need you to understand something. If you operate within the parameters of God's word, you walk in favor. You, get, you are supremely fortunate. You get to live the blessed life. But if you don't, then the Bible is very clear. God sets himself up against you. You cannot succeed without him. You need his favor in your life. So please don't be offended if someone shows you scripture that says this doesn't line up with the word of God. Those people love you enough to say, I want you to live the blessed life, not the cursed life. On the other hand, when we humble ourselves, what does it say? It says that God gives strength. God gives favor to those who are humbled. Pastor Jim paraphrase, everything in God's kingdom is available to those who walks humbly before the Lord. 
everything in God's kingdom is available to the person who walks humbly before the Lord. Say it with me. Read it with me. Everything in God's kingdom is available to the person who walks humbly before the Lord. That says to me that pride and arrogance and self-centeredness is not the way to get what you long for. It is humility. It's humble yourself. It's empty yourself. It's die daily so that Christ may rise in you. It's not look for the glory, but give it all to him. And as opposite as all of that sounds, that's the road to fortune, favor, the blessed life. I got to close. I mentioned to you at the outset of this conversation that all of these that we're going to be talking about are the character traits of Jesus himself. Philippians chapter 2 makes it very clear. In fact, Paul said, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who found himself equal with God, but he humbled himself. He submitted himself. He gave up all of those glories that he could well have claimed for himself and took on the form of a man, a form of a servant, and he died for us. And because he humbled himself, the result is, anybody know that passage? One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The way up in the kingdom of God is the way down. The way to be exalted is to humble yourself. It's critical that you get this one because this one sets the stage for all of the others. And as we do this study together, let's come back in our thoughts, let's come back in our hearts, and let's get this one down. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I die daily, Paul said, that Christ might live in me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious truth, a simple statement, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But yet there is so much in it, so much information, so much meat, so much depth, so much meaning. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher and take this to our hearts. Help us to do some self-evaluations in our own sense of focused on self versus focused on you, focused on self-aggrandizement versus self-abasement. Help us to process through these things and come out on the side of having humbled ourselves before you because it is in being poor in spirit, humble, that we find the blessed life we long for. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, you've never, you've never prayed a prayer like that before. You've never even asked Jesus to come into your heart. You're not even sure this stuff is true. But here you are saying, I want the blessed life. I, I want to be supremely fortunate. I want to be favored, and I know that having stuff has not filled that hole in my soul. So maybe your prayer of commitment today is is a simple but vital one. Will you pray with me? Jesus, would you rise up in me as I humble myself? As I let go of this idea that I am the captain of my own fate and recognize that it is in making you Lord of my life that all those things I've been reaching for finally just come to me. Forgive me of my sin and give me a fresh start today. 
Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their hearts. Would you give them the assurance you've heard their prayer and the blessed life is beginning. But I suspect on a day like this, in a place like this, there's a whole second group here of people that have committed their lives to Christ Somewhere along the way, if I'd ask you if you were a Christian, you'd have said, well, sure, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you're honest, as I've tried to be this morning, uh, there's a battle with ego. There's a battle with self-centeredness. There's a battle with why wasn't I recognized? Why wasn't I called out? Why didn't anybody notice me? And coming to understand that the way up is down and the way to favor is to humble ourselves So would you help all of us, Lord, to pray this simple prayer? Help me to crucify my flesh to make room for the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life. Fill me up, Lord, with you because I want the blessed life you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Pastor Andy asked you earlier to hold on to your Connect card till the end of the service. If you're a first-time guest, please take it by the VIP Center, uh, and they've got a free gift to just say thank you for coming. We appreciate so much you being here. For all of you, would you take that card in your hand, all of you? Let's just take these cards, and if you prayed one of those prayers, would you write me a note, check a box. There's a place I prayed to accept Christ today. Maybe you can write me a note. I want to pray for you this week. The ushers are at the door. You can hand them your Connect card on your way out today. Okay, before we pray, you ready for a praise report? Anybody like praise reports? Some of you that have been a part of the Bridge family for a long time know that it was in Pastor Farrell's heart several years ago that there be a Bridge Smithfield. This past week, we settled that there's going to be a Bridge Smithfield. We're launching this this fall in Smithfield, North Carolina. Praise God. Amen. God's given us favor and influence and an opportunity, and we're leaning into it, and so you'll be hearing a lot more about it, but I want you to know there's a fourth location of the bridge coming. We are going to touch lives all across this region, North Carolina. We thank you so much for all you do to make that possible. Father, take us from this place. Help us to accomplish everything you have in mind through us and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.